Amen. You may be seated. I hope you know that with all of your heart, that that's what you depend on. Christ, His righteous life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection, His return for you, for me, for His people. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. We'll continue our study in Romans 6. Cover a little more ground this morning. I wanted to hold this piece together and kind of see what difference that theology of sanctification in verses 1 through 11, and as we've seen expanded a bit last time in 12 to 14, what difference that makes as it's applied to our lives. But I'm going to read all of chapter 6 just to set things in context. Then we will pray and talk about gospel slavery. Winding up the discussion on justification, Paul turns the corner in chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. He lives, he lives to God. Now watch. So you also must, you who are trusting in him, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, I'm speaking in human terms because of the, your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, have mercy on us. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to love you and to live in light of your truth, to believe not our lying hearts or our lying feelings, but your true word as to who we are in Christ Jesus, as to what we are and what you have called us to. 
Help us to own the identity and the purpose and the power that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, union with Him. So Lord, bless the preaching and the hearing of Your Word. Speak powerfully to Your people through Your truth. May Your Spirit apply these things to our heart. Help me to preach and us to hear and you to be glorified and Christ to be lifted high. We give you praise, honor, and glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. That great old prophet, Bob Dylan, philosopher, rock and roll singer. The song is, You Gotta Serve Somebody from 1979. And he's right. At every moment of every day, we are serving somebody. At any moment of every day, we are in slavery to somebody. There are many types of slavery in the world. In Paul's world, people in desperate circumstances could often sell themselves into slavery for getting out of debt or to secure basic substance, they would present themselves to a master out of their deep need and poverty. Did you know as much as a third of the population of the Roman Empire would have been slaves? And another third would have been a slave at some other time in their lives. Slavery was common. And it has been throughout the history of the world. And as I've said, we are all slaves to somebody this morning. But I do want to make a point of clarification. It's often said that the Bible condones slavery. Well, the Bible does regulate things that are happening as we work through the history of redemption. But the Bible never condoned the type of slavery that was practiced in America. In fact, the Bible always condemned the type of slavery that was practiced in America. Before, so before the justice warriors get their cultural pants in a wad, we'll straighten that one out. As Exodus 21, 16 says this, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Everyone who stole anyone and brought them to America should have been put to death. Everyone who sold any person in America should have been put to death. And everyone who bought somebody in America should be put to death. So don't come here telling me that the Bible condoned that type of slavery. It never did. But slavery was and is a reality in this world. And in the Old Testament, the only perfect, permanent slavery was voluntary. Did you know that? A slave could choose to stay with their master if they loved them and wanted to stay with them and serve them. Every seven years in Israel, slaves were to be released and not just released, but sent away with a good portion of goods. Because the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt. You can go read about that in Deuteronomy 15 if you want to. And, uh, but you'll see there that a slave could choose to stay with his master or her master. And there was a process for that where their ear would be pierced with an awl into the doorpost. Signifying that they were in a situation that they didn't want to leave. They had it so good with their master that they wanted to stay. And were allowed to stay. See, that's a good picture of gospel slavery, devotion to Christ as our Master and Lord. So loved by Him and loving Him so that we never would want to go anywhere else. 
Well, we're studying through the book of Romans. We've come halfway through chapter 6. We've seen Paul establish the fact early on in the epistle that the gospel was the theme of the book. He's also established beyond, beyond refute the fact that everyone in the world needs a Savior. Jew and Gentile are lost and need a Savior. He's established that. He began in chapter 3 through the end of chapter 5 talking about our justification by faith alone that though we are unrighteousness, we are unrighteousness and unrighteous. We can find forgiveness of sins and the true righteousness that we need to be accepted by God through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ our Lord. God counts us righteous on the basis of Christ by imputing His righteousness to us through faith, pardoning us and cleansing us from every sin and imputing Christ's righteousness to us through faith so that we are cleansed from our sin and clothed in His righteousness and accepted in the Beloved. We've seen that justification up through chapter 5 and now we've started talking about sanctification in chapter 6. And we've seen Paul lay the theological ground for our sanctification in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6. And then we've begun to look at him applying that theology of sanctification as we moved on in, in 12 to 14. Last time, I'll point you back to that sermon and the others previous about union with Christ and what it means to die to sin. It means to die to sin's reign over us. It can no longer tell us what to do. And today we look, and your Bible may even have this heading, Slaves to Righteousness. That's what God does. He not only justifies souls, but He sanctifies. He not only converts a person, but He makes them like Jesus, growingly as we walk through this life. God never justifies a soul that He doesn't sanctify. We get a whole Christ who is both Savior and Lord when we come to Him. And today in this text, you see Paul uses slavery as a picture or an illustration of the two ways of life. You see this in the Didache, if you're familiar with that. There are two ways of life, the way of death and the way of life. The way that ends in death and the way that ends in life. And what we see in this text as we look at it rightly, everybody's a slave. You may not be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you might have walked in that door thinking you're free. We're, we're all a slave to somebody. We're either a slave to sin and unrighteousness and self or a slave to righteousness and Christ and God. Everybody's a slave. We have a choice to make in God's grace. We're responsible for that choice. Who will we serve? Whose slave will you be? Where will you find true freedom, which is freedom to love, honor, and serve God in Christ? Yeah, we're going to talk about gospel slavery. And I, this is mainly speaking to the Christian. Just know that as we're in chapter 6, we're, 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 this is speaking to the Christian of who they are in Christ and then what do we do based on who we are in Christ. But the main point then, it's not that if you're not a Christian, you won't get anything out of this. I promise I'll give you the best news you've ever heard in your life in the context of this sermon. But the main point is to the Christian. Christian, do not go on sinning because you, two things, because you have a new master and because you have a great reward. Do not go on sinning because you have a new master and because you have a great reward. First, Christian, do not go on sinning because you have a new master. We'll look in verses 15 to 19 quickly. Look what he's, how he starts off. He says, what then? I love the questions Paul is using, the way he's organized his argument around these questions and helping us see the truth of things. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace. Very similar to the question he asked in chapter uh, 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, he, he had just said at the end of chapter 5 that where sin increased, grace abounded. And so, does that just make us flipping about sin? And he said, no. Well, he asked it a different way because he's just said in verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since... This is a promise, not a command. This is a statement of fact. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So he says, so, hey, what? We're not under law, we're under grace. We're accepted in the beloved. Christ is our salvation. So should we just be flipping about sin? Should we go on sinning because we're Christians? 
practicing it, making that our lifestyle. Look how he answers that, by no means. That's the strongest possible negative in the Greek language. Absolutely not. God forbid. You might have some of those things if you have different translations from the ESV. That's a serious misunderstanding of the gospel if that's what you think. Doesn't matter what I do with my body. My soul is saved. I'm going to heaven. You you might be a good Gnostic, but not a good Christian with that philosophy. What does it mean to be under law? Remember, now I'm going to have to point you back to the previous sermon, but I'll just give you a nutshell. To be under the law or be not under the law is to be delivered from the requirement to keep the law perfectly for eternal life. You see, if you'll save yourself, you have to be perfect from cradle to grave for God to accept you. You must be righteous. God's not judging on the curve. He's not going to weigh to see if your good works outweigh your bad works. Outside of Christ, you don't have any good works. And that's another discussion. You can get mad at me if you want to. We can talk about that. All our righteousness is filthy rags, Isaiah says, because none of us ever keep any of the commandments perfectly. So to not be under law means we've been delivered from the requirement to keep the law perfectly for eternal life. And we've been delivered from the law's condemning and provoking power. Christ has been judged for our sin. So we get set free, but we get far more then set free. We are under grace. You're not under law, but you're under grace. You've been accepted in Christ. You've been saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. It's a free gift. Repent. See, we're, we're born running from God, and we, He calls on us to repent, turn to Him, and receive His way of thinking, and His Son is our Savior. We know that's Him working that life and repentance in us. But to, we, we simply receive Christ as our salvation. That's to be under grace. To be pardoned for all your sin and credited as righteous in God's sight for only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to you and received by faith alone. Theological language, some of it you may not get. What does it mean? For God so loved the world. Which, by the way, means for God loved the world in this way. Rightly translated. In this manner, in this way He loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that the one believing in Him, it doesn't really say whosoever believes in the Greek, that the one believing in Him shall not perish, negative side, but shall have everlasting life. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? You don't understand anything I've said yet, but are you trusting in Jesus? Maybe you're a child. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? If so, you've been cleansed from your sin. You've been clothed in His righteousness. You've been adopted into God's family. You're under grace. So being under grace, how should I live? Well, not by being flippant over sin. Obviously, we've seen that. In verse 15, he says, absolutely not. And he follows it up with something he assumes we should know, right? Verse 16, do you not know? You should know this. This should be plain and on the, on the page. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? In other words, your life reveals your master. Your life will tell you who you're following. A life of outward practice of sin, even if, if you have a profession of faith, that your practice is sin, it reveals you're following a different master from Christ. Don't you know that if you present yourselves, literally it should read, if you go on presenting yourselves, kind of like 1 John, this is a habit pattern of the life. This is not the occasional fall into sin. Obviously we know we all fall short and we confess our sin, but we're striving to follow Christ and walk in His commandments because we love Him. This is the other kind of life. Yeah, it may profess faith, but not really serious about following Christ. This kind of excuses sin with grace. But Paul's saying, look, look at your life. You can tell who you're following. You're, you're a slave to somebody. What does your life look like? See, there's no neutral ground here. Notice it. it if you present yourselves as slaves to anyone, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And he gives the two choices. Either of sin, which leads to death. That's the way of death. 
or of obedience that leads to righteousness. The soul that God saves is the same soul that He grows in obedience to Him in Christ. Jesus told His opponents this in, in John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, He's emphasizing, Truly, truly, I say to you, watch this, everyone who, now this is an important word, practices sin is a slave of sin. If sin is my habit pattern, my normal flow of life, I'm a slave to it. I know before I came to Christ, I didn't think I was a slave to anybody. I thought I was free doing my own thing, having a ball, right? That's because my heart was tuned that way and I, I loved sin, so I enjoyed indulging in it. But I didn't think I was a slave, mastered by it, but it was reigning over me. I was in bondage to it. You don't believe anybody else. Believe Jesus. He says everyone. You know what that means? Everyone. Everybody who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the one who has come to faith has, been, has, in, has undergone a transfer of masters. Paul's still helping us understand sanctification, and he will continue to. He says, you're either in the way of death or the way of life, and your life will reveal that. But he said, look at verse 17, the transfer of masters in 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, before Christ, outside of Christ, when you were lost, you were a slave of sin. You were in bondage to sin. Not that you were doing it against your will, that's what you loved. You were pursuing the course of life that you preferred. I mean, I remember as a lost person thinking, yeah, I know I need to get saved. I'll do that when I'm old. I'm having too much fun now. Because sin was fun for me then. Paul is saying, I'm thanking God that though that was once true of you, but because of the gospel coming into your life and because of God saving you, he says, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The standard of teaching or the pattern of teaching, what is that? So you were once a slave of sin, but, but this, there's, there's this pattern of teaching that came into your life that you were then committed to. Regeneration, God saving, God writing His law on the heart. But what is that pattern of teaching? Sound gospel theology. The whole doctrine of Christ that calls one to adopt Christ as both Savior and Lord. In other words, to go from having sin and Satan as a master, self, going to having Christ as a master. God works that in us through the gospel and then expand. You see in Romans this expansive doctrine of Christ where he shows us not only are we justified by faith alone, it's an act of God's grace, God working in us, but we're sanctified by grace. It's a work of God's grace where he's transforming us into the image of Christ. We'll see a definition later. Pattern, sound words, Paul would call it in, in, in another place. The pattern of teaching that you were given over to it. Look at this. You didn't decide. You were, this is, you were passive. You were committed to it. You were given over to it. It's God saving you. Thanks be to God that though you were once slave of sin, you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, the gospel doctrine of Christ. And now watch this. Now watch what has happened to those who are converted. And having been set free from sin... What does that mean? You never sin anymore, not ever make a mistake? No, that's not what it means. Sin no longer, you've been set free from the reign of sin. It no longer rules over you because you have a new master now. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. The Christian is a slave of righteousness now. You're a slave, not of sin anymore, but of Christ. You've, now go back to verse 11. You're a Christian, and go back and listen to those, those sermons if this is causing you some heartburn. But you must consider yourselves. You, in other words, you must adopt who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Jesus, in union with Him. Dead to sin, alive to God. No longer a slave of sin, 
now a slave of righteousness. No longer a follower of self, the world, Satan, however you want to put it, but now a follower, disciple, slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've been, you've been changed if you're a believer. You have a new heart. You have a new master. You have a new power. You have a new identity. You have a new purpose. You're a slave of righteousness, which he later calls a slave or a servant of God. God has saved you. Your master is different now. So live out. This is basically what Paul's saying. So live out that new identity. Own who you are. Depend upon the power that you have. Believe what God tells you and press into that new identity. You're a child of God. You are a saint. That's not a special status. That's a description of a Christian. Read the first part of Romans. You're a Christian, a disciple of Christ. You have a new heart. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Don't tell me this is not possible. It's impossible for you, but not for God. See, sanctification is the work of God's grace way, and He works in us to willing to do according to His good pleasure. And He works in us to cooperate with that and grow in grace. You now love righteousness and hate sin. If you're a Christian, you now love righteousness and hate sin. That's a good diagnostic. Do I hate sin? Do I grieve over it? Do I wish it wasn't there? And we're not perfect, right? We will be someday. We'll be glorified someday. Then we'll be perfect. But we don't make it our aim and practice to just not be concerned about it and pursue the way of the world. That's, that's evident of a slave of sin, not a slave of righteousness. And Paul says in verse 19, live out your identity. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And he's, he's, he's giving us this illustration of slavery to teach us something. We've been purchased by Christ. We are now His. We're no longer to live for self but Him, Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says, for just as you once presented your members as slave to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. There's never enough lawlessness. You get involved in, 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 in pornography. You might get in in the soft stuff and there's no such thing. But then you go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Sin sears the conscience and leads to more sin. We, we, when we're a slave of sin, we, we think we're enjoying our life and that's what we want to do. And, and we certainly don't want anybody telling us about God or how we need to change. But no, Paul's saying... Uh, he's given us these illustrations that we might understand. That as we once lived that way, we presented our members, we presented ourselves to that master and indulged in that. He says, you, you did that. He says, so now, since you're a believer, present your members, your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Slaves, if you're a Christian... You've been brought under a new master. You are now a slave of righteousness and God is sanctifying you and He will eventually complete that process. You're a slave of Christ. This is just, listen, this is just figures and illustrations. This is just another way of talking about a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple is nothing but a believer. Y'all, you realize this, right? They're not different tiers of Christian. You're either a disciple or you're not. <laughs> you're a follower or you're not. You believe in Jesus or you don't. And if you really believe in Him, your life will reflect that. So what is a disciple? Well, it's one who presents themselves to God as, as His servant in Christ, as His slave. We're called to this. I mean, Corey's been teaching us about the Great Commission and teaching us the layers of the Great Commission. It's more than just evangelism. It is evangelism, but it's more than that. We're to make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? Well, we can look at that verse Corey's been preaching, and we can tell that. It says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why do we baptize them? Because they've come to faith. So a disciple is one who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Justification fitting in there, right? Now look at verse 20. But there's more to the Great Commission. There's more to making a disciple and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So a, a, a disciple is one who also follows Christ, learns from Him, adopts His teaching as the way of life. So it's a believer who is growing in grace, who, who is following Jesus, and Jesus promises His presence. So a disciple is one who both trusts and gladly obeys Jesus. I mean, there's an old hymn, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Not that we count on our obedience to make us acceptable with God. We don't. We count on Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, His perfect life, His sacrificial death. He, we're looking to Him for acceptance with God. We're hidden in Him. We've died to sin, alive in all of that language. So we're not counting on our performance, but the soul that God saves or converts, the soul that God justifies, He also sanctifies works in us to love and obey Christ. I mean, Jesus said it. If you love me, you won't care about sin. Is that what he said? That's not what he said, is it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't have a scowl on his face when he said that. It's just a statement of fact. You want to know if you love Jesus, are you following him? Does his commandments shape your life? A disciple is one who both trusts and gladly obeys and grows in that obedience to their new master. So Christian, don't go on sinning. You have a new master. You're not under the dominion of sin anymore. Number two, Christian, do not go on sinning because you have a great reward. Look at, look at this. The first reward is deliverance from shame and condemnation. Look what he says in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, this is before Christ, right? Before you came to faith in Jesus. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I, I, mean, listen, I don't know about you, and I wasn't a religious pretender. But when I, was, when I was lost, I was certainly not pursuing righteousness. In fact, I would make fun of people who did. But Paul is saying before Christ, whether you did it religiously or unreligiously, and you can see Christ's opponents doing the same thing, he says, you were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. <clears throat> but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? What real fruit did you get from the things that you... If you're a Christian, you look back on your lifestyle before Christ and there's some shame. Now kids, if you... Or adults, if you come to faith as a child and you don't remember a time when you didn't trust Jesus, praise God, hallelujah. Right? You're still being sanctified. But a lot of us who were converted later, we remember this vividly. And I, I, that path I was pursuing that was a path that was against God and against His commandments, I don't look back and brag on that stuff anymore. It's, a lot of it was shameful. We've forgotten how to blush. We've taught our kids not to blush because we've not taught them the law. But see, Paul is saying, you didn't gain any real positive fruit from that. In fact, you should be ashamed of the way that you lived before Christ. Whether you were a religious legalist, hypocrite, or, or immoral outside of any form of religion. Anything that goes against God's commandments should bring shame, and shame is a good thing so that we might turn and repent. There's no, listen to me, there's no lasting benefit to sin. There's no lasting benefit to sin. There's pleasure for a season in sin sometimes. But there's no lasting benefit. In fact, there's a lasting detriment if it's not repented of. Because not only are we set free from shame, we're set free from condemnation. Look at what he says in verse 21. For the end of those things is death. Sin's end is condemnation and death. And listen, death there is not just talking about physically stopping breathing here. 
It would include that, but it's primarily talking about spiritual death, separation from God, condemnation for our sin, hell. See, a slave of sin is, is separated from God's grace, right? And will continue to be so if they persist in that path. That their sin is shameful and it will lead in condemnation and death if not repented of. But there's an eternal benefit to righteousness. The fact that God justifies and sanctifies. Look what he says. I love buts. But now that you have been set free from God. Anytime in scripture you see that word but, like in Ephesians 2, a lot of the times it's, it's a great contrast and a great message. Whereas, you know, we were under condemnation and lost, but God, because of the greatness of His love. But now, now that you have been set free from sin, believer, sin no longer reigns over you, Christ does, and have become, look, through the gospel, slaves of God. When we come to faith in Jesus, we become a slave of God at that point. We, loving Him, wanting our ears pierced so that we can stay with Him and follow Him. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification or growth in grace. As we pursue righteousness, we're growing in holy character. We're growing in Christ-like character. And it's in eternal life. Look at the contrast there. Not the end of those things is death in 21, but the end of being a slave of God is eternal life. God finishes the work He started. The soul that He justified, He sanctifies, He will eventually glorify. That path of salvation, redemption, God working in us by His grace so that we come to faith in Jesus and we follow Christ. We grow in that faith. The end of that path is eternal life, which we really have already entered into through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been delivered unto sanctification and eternal life. Verse, verse 23. You've heard this verse, and, and a lot of times it gets ripped out of context, right? We're comparing the two ways. The wages or the payoff of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have the free gift? Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was raised the third day from the grave. He promises those who have faith in Jesus forgiveness of sins, righteousness to clothe them, acceptance in the family of God. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? If so, that's because God, had, through His gospel being preached to you, has brought you from death to life so that you have turned and trusted Christ. And He is growing you in grace. He's given you a new heart that now loves Him and wants to please Him and grieves when it doesn't. See, all Christians fail. If we say we are without sin, we lie, we deceive ourselves, truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse of all the righteousness. But we grieve when we fail and we hate sin if we have the Spirit of God living within us and if we have this new heart. And we want to obey Him if we have a new heart. Do you love God? Do you love Christ? If so, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Charles Spurgeon said this, Unless our faith makes us pine after holiness and pant after conformity to God, it is no better than the faith of devils and perhaps it is not as good as that. Does your faith make you desire Christ-likeness, desire righteousness, grieve when you fall short? That's what true faith does. God convicts us of our sin and grows us in grace if we know Him. He disciplines us. Is God growing you in grace? We sang it. God basically, and uh, God remove everything that doesn't glorify you from my life. That's the cry of a heart that knows Him. We're not perfect yet. We're not there yet. But be honest with yourself. Look inside. Ask God to search you. Remember the psalm? See if there be any wicked way, wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Allow Him to search your heart. Ask Him to do it. Ask Him if you love Him. Ask Him if you love righteousness. Ask Him if you hate sin. Ask Him if you are a follower of Christ. Are you a slave of sin that has been sort of religiously deceived? Or are you a slave of righteousness, one who really trusts in and loves the Lord Jesus Christ? See, Paul is showing us here, yes, Christ is every bit of our salvation. His righteous life, His sacrificial death, so that we are forgiven and cleansed of our sin and clothed in His righteousness if we trust Him up through chapter 5. But he says God does bigger work than that, this salvation work. He also sanctifies the soul He justifies. And He's given us a theology of sanctification. And here He's given us a picture of slavery to show us we're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Is sin what I really love? I'm willing to come to church on Sunday. I'm willing to do a few things for God, but really the rest of the week I just want to go my own way and live for self and the world and sin. Or you're trusting in Christ. You love Him for sacrificing Himself for you. And you're devoted to Him and want to grow in living for Him. Spurgeon says that if we have a real faith, we will pine and pant after holiness, after conformity to, to God. What does that mean? Conformity to Christ's image. It means I live growingly like Christ lived. Christ kept the commandments from the heart out of joy and love of God. It was His food to do the Father's will. You're not saved by your performance. You're saved by Christ. You're delivered, justified. But He saves you unto Growing holiness, which is growing living like Jesus. Is there evidence? Going back to verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Look at your life. Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to righteousness? Ask God to make it plain. Because the end is the ultimate end. Eternal death or eternal life in Christ Jesus. God calls us to a life of sanctification. He calls us to a life of repentance. I'll give you a few definitions and I'm done. But uh, this is again catechism questions from the Shorter Catechism. Verse, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism number 35. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more. See that? Enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Because of His grace to us in chapters 3 through 5, now we get to live in this arena of sanctification for the glory of God. God calls us to live lives of repentance because we're trusting Christ. And that's how we follow Him. Christ even said it in, at the end before He ascended when He was teaching and training the disciples and had opened their hearts in, in Luke 24, 46 to 47. He said this, and this is Great Commission stuff too. He said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He, he's talking about it was written in what we call our Old Testament. And now watch this and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. We are to be preachers of repentance if we are to be gospel preachers. That we might preach, that people might turn from sin and self and following the course of the world to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another definition, what is repentance unto life? If you want these, I'll give them to you, but you can look them up. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 87. You'll have them if you're taking notes. Y'all know the elect take notes, right? <laughs> it is helpful to be able to look back on and review and grow. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, watch this, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy in, of God in Christ does with, look at the heart attitude, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor or striving after new obedience. The heart that really is, knows God, knows Christ, the regenerate heart, grieves over sin, hates sin, 
turns from it, wants to be fully obedient, knows that it will someday. God calls us through the gospel to abandon sin as our master and serve Him in Christ. And the benefit of being a true disciple is sanctification and eternal life. All of your salvation, God's gracious gift, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A couple of quick points of application. I'll stop. Number one, choose you this day whom you will serve. Don't wait till tomorrow. Look at me. Who are you going to serve? Will it be Christ and righteousness and salvation? Will you turn to Christ? Will you receive Christ as your Savior? Or will you continue in the path of sin? See, Joshua, when he said this to the people of Israel, he didn't say choose tomorrow or in a week or when you think it'll be a good time. I want to get your attention this morning because I don't know if when you walk through that door, I may never see you again. Now, is that a preacher trying to scare you? Yes. But, it, but is that a potential reality? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many people in my neighborhood over there have died recently. One just by falling out of his kayak. I'm not trying to get you not to kayak. It's fun. But you're not promised tomorrow. Joshua said this to the children of Israel. He said, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. In other words, if you want to continue serving sin, go ahead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, may that be your commitment. As for me and to my extent of my influence, my house, we will serve the Lord. We will be slaves of righteousness. Now, you're not in control of that. God is the one who changes hearts. But choose today. Take it seriously. Think about this. Whose slave am I? I mean, really, when it boils down, am I living for myself? Or am I living for Christ? Because the word says he died for us that we might no longer live for ourselves but for him who was raised from the grave. Choose Christ. Number two, know this. Grace changes both your identity and your life. We saw this last sermon too. The soul that God brings to faith, he grows in grace. The soul that he justifies, he sanctifies. True grace makes slaves of God. That's why I titled it Gospel Slavery. It's what God works in our hearts. To joyfully want to love, honor, follow, stay with Christ. Trust and love Him with our life. See, Paul is telling us here, deliverance from the law. He's been expanding from in verse 14. Deliverance from the law is not deliverance unto sin. Deliverance from the law brings us under grace and makes one a joyful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you? Remember our main point. Christian, do not go on sinning because you have a new master and you have a great reward. See, Bob Dylan was correct. You're going to serve somebody, the devil or the Lord. And you may not like it, that black and white, but that is gospel truth. There's sin and there's righteousness. There's lost and there's saved. There's outside of Christ and in Christ. There's slaves of sin, slaves of righteousness. You're on one side of the other of that equation. And you will stand before God and answer someday. Is it your joy to serve Jesus and do you wish you served Him better? If you're in Christ, you have everything necessary to follow Him and to grow in Him and in living for Him, and to live a life of daily repentance so that you're loving and serving your gracious Master. Follow Christ, and you will have eternal life. The Bible commands slavery, gospel slavery. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Center the Lord because you will be serving someone. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for myself 
and for everyone under the sound of my voice that what is in Matthew chapter 7 would not be true of us. Where people come before you listing all that they've done and you tell them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. None of us want to stand before you on that day and hear you say, depart from me. So work in our hearts. Make us slaves of righteousness. Make us true disciples of Christ. Those who truly trust you, Lord Jesus. Because we've been given a new heart that turns from sin unto righteousness, that turns from unbelief to faith, that looks to you and grieves over its sin and rejoices in your righteousness being given to us and rejoices in following you in the paths of righteousness. May we be true disciples of you, Lord Jesus. I pray for anyone who's under the sound of my voice who has a false faith, a shallow faith, a cheap faith, a faith that merely sees Christ as a ticket to heaven and not as a gracious and loving Lord, Savior, and Master. I pray for that person to be granted repentance according to your will. I pray for those of us who know you, Lord, to adopt this sanctification of theology, to take it seriously, to know who we are so that we live no longer for ourselves but for Christ who died for us and was raised from the grave. Lord, we will shake the world around us if we're truly your followers. We will shake them with the good news of the glorious gospel. And if not, we will just continue living for ourselves. Make disciples here in Swansboro. Make disciples of us and send us out as light and salt. As those who love you and trust you and serve you and speak of you. And see others come to faith in Jesus. Deliver us from no faith. Deliver us from false faith. Deliver us unto true faith. For that precious saint who really trusts you but has a very, very tender heart that a message like this could cause them to doubt. Just confirm them in the faith, Lord. Everyone that knows you, you will confirm. You'll do that through your word, not our feelings. So help us to mire up in the book of 1 John and in other places where you've given us truth to show us whether or not we have eternal life. But Lord, save and sanctify your people. Build your church, your kingdom from every nation as Sam prayed this morning that we might be true followers of Christ who rest fully in the grace to be brought to us in Christ and who purpose to live following Christ and growing holiness and devotion. Bless us, Lord, to love and follow you. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Stand with